I saw this picture on Reddit the uh, this last weekend, and I think it was Walmart that was called out for it. It, it was a a portable storage drive, and the redditor had this this habit of taking electronic devices, yeah. cracking them open, and actually seeing what was in the guts. In the case of this portable storage drive, it was actually supposed to be a five terabyte storage drive. He opened it up, and what he found in there was a bunch of thumb drives. Growing a business requires a holistic approach that extends beyond sales and marketing. This approach needs alignment among people, processes, and technologies. So if you're a business owner, operations, or finance leader looking to learn growth strategies from your peers and competitors, you're tuned into the right podcast. Welcome to the WBS Podcast, where scalable growth using business systems is our number one priority. Now... Here is your host, Sam Gupta. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the WBS Podcast. I'm Sam Gupta, your host and principal consultant at independent ERP and digital transformation consulting firm Elevate IQ. Do you know an e-commerce platform that is open source and built on PHP? Do you know an e-commerce platform that is very strong with B2B features with complex approval flows. Do you know an e-commerce platform that can bump up the products in the search list based on the score of product attributes? Do you know an e-commerce platform that can have a separate landing page for different users and customer types? If you have guessed Magento, then it's not right. It's Orocommerce. In today's episode, we invited a panel of cross-functional experts for a live discussion on LinkedIn who brings significant expertise to discuss Orocommerce capabilities. We discussed its unique value proposition, developer-friendly nature, and its roadmap. Finally, we discussed some of the very interesting features, such as its ability to rank different products in its search results and rank based on product attributes, workflows to enable B2B approval flows and the hierarchies of its uh, business objects. With that, let's get to the conversation. Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's show. And if you are joining for the first time, this is part of our e-commerce series for which we meet every Wednesday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern. We review one um, solution or the vendor related to e-commerce. And for today, we have a very interesting vendor. It's called OroCommerce. I don't know how many people would have heard about this platform. I can almost guarantee that every developer would probably know this because it's a very developer-friendly platform. So we are going to have a lot of fun discussing that. Before uh, we do that, we are going to start with everybody's intros. If you don't know me, I am Sam Gupta, your host and principal consultant at Elevate IQ. Elevate IQ is the independent ERP, e-commerce, and uh, digital uh, transformation consulting firm. On that note, I am going to move to Robert for his intro. I'm Robert Brown. I'm principal consultant at Robert Brown uh, e-commerce consultancy. We specialize in digital and e-commerce consulting for uh, small to medium-sized businesses. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much for being here, Robert. And uh, if you're in the audience and joining uh, for the first time, make sure you guys post your questions and comments. We typically try to cover them towards the tail end of the show. 
within an hour of time, we'll make sure that you are going to receive your answers. On that note, Robert, I'm going to uh, provide quick commentary and the brief related to oral commerce and how this all fit in the value chain, how they compare with any other platforms that we have reviewed so far. And then, you know, we can discuss and debate and finally cover some of these slides. Now, oral commerce, uh, people, especially in the Magento community, are going to know them really well. And the reason for that is because I think this was started by one of the founders that was part of our, you know, open source committer. I don't know what is the correlation. I don't think we have the insight there. Robert, if you have anything related to that, just let us know. But I think there is a little correlation there overall in how this all uh, started. So that's why anybody who is going to be part of the Magento ecosystem or Adobe Commerce ecosystem, the new name, they are probably going to know about Oro Commerce. So obviously, when we look at any of the platforms that share either the founder, um, there is going to be a lot of uh, similarity just because of that whole executive decision-making overlap, I guess, in the platform. So quick ones to, uh, that you can simply check it out are going to be, you know, uh, Magento is built on PHP. So obviously, Oro Commerce is probably going to be built on PHP. And yes, it is built on PHP <laughs> and it is built on um, Symfony is the framework. And my understanding is that Magento is also on Symfony framework, you know, which is obviously very popular, especially when you talk about um, the PHP ecosystem. Symfony, go ahead, Robert. Yeah. So if, if you look at the founders of Oro, it is the former CTO of Magento, the yeah. former VP of sales of Magento, and the former lead architect. So it's... Just like you're saying, I think it's basically, this is what we know. Oh, let's go do that. Exactly. And there is a little, I think they had a little disagreement with uh, overall how Magento worked. And I think one of the disagreements were, I believe, in the performance. And we have heard, and when we reviewed Magento, my understanding was that, you know, there were a lot of concerns about Magento's performance. And by the way, this is not just from the reviews for our review of Magento. Overall, when I talk to people in the Magento ecosystem, they do complain about Magento's performance. Sometimes it could be the implementation issue, but overall, it's not as optimized as some of the other platforms that are going to be slightly superior overall in terms of the performance. And for e-commerce, it matters a lot. And the reason for that is, again, because Google you know, does not like <laughs> uh, when you are going to be slow. So obviously, if you look at Oro's roadmap, their first priority has been, in fact, in the recent release, they, their first priority always is performance. Now, what is mind-blowing about this particular platform? If you look at their uh, the way they have designed this platform, by the way, the other things to check it out overall in comparing Magento versus Oro is going to be Magento has very strong B2B functionality. So we can probably conclude that Oro is going to have very strong B2B functionality as well. In fact, when you look at the platform, it's really designed for B2B. It's going to have a lot more B2B customers than, than B2C. Your B2B companies are going to be benefiting a lot more uh, with Oro just because of the depth of the functionality that it is going to have for B2B. So those are two similarities. And uh, I don't know, Robert, if you noticed anything else based on your research and uh, based on the slides. Well, you know, in the slides, you, uh, you talked about 
you know, the B to C and the, the B to B to, to C, uh, B to X. And when you look at all the reviews, it's all B to B. Yeah. Yeah. And so I couldn't find anybody who's actually utilizing it in a B to C straight B to C scenario. Yeah. So, you know, I'm, I'm a little hesitant to go in depth on that. And when looking at the slides, I'm not quite sure where the, the, you know, the, the information came from, you know, obviously it came from, you know, oral commerce, but yeah. it doesn't break out in terms of the different levels of offering that they have. So for example, in the inventory, it talks about multi-warehouse management, yeah. but that that's specifically limited to their enterprise version versus their basic version. Yeah, exactly. So obviously the tiers, I don't think we are going to have as much insights, but overall from the functionality perspective, I guess if you look at the B2B business, they are probably going to require multi-warehouse. But again, when I we have worked in the Magento ecosystem with our customers, typically they are not going to be as integrated with the other commerce channels. Okay, when I say other commerce channels, if you look at the big box retailers or the physical retailers, for them, the primary channel always is going to be the store. Okay, e-commerce is there. It's kind of a stepchild. Okay, I may have 2%, 5% revenue, but my main revenue driver always is going to be that store, even for the distribution business, to be honest. Okay, so a lot of distribution business, their primary business always is going to be distributors. They, the e-commerce is still very, they sort of do it, but they don't do it. So, so warehouse functionality is kind of tricky, especially with these platforms, because when I look at the, the warehouse functionality, because you are anyways going to have ERP and ERP is going to have those warehouses and you have to somehow figure out how this is going to map. Okay, so typically, let's say if you're looking for the omni-channel experience, if you're looking for, the omni-channel experience between your stores as well as your e-commerce channel. Then you need to have all of those warehouse mapped in your, uh, if you have three or four different systems, <laughs> you might have yeah. OMS, but yeah. the more yeah. you are going to have, the more complex it is going to be. And in that layer, so, uh, and that's why for me, let's say if I'm using dedicated e-commerce, then I like to see your POS integrated with that, to be honest, okay? So yeah. that's why I absolutely love Shopify for that matter. Because then you are managing just one platform, one variable, and then in the back end, you can have ERP or whatever, right? Yep. Uh, the less complexity. But with Oro, Magento, it gets very difficult because you need to <laughs> use another POS, um, you know, some sort of OMS system that is going to manage your store experience. And then you have this e-commerce, which is probably managing your 1% of revenue. And then you have all of these warehouses. So it becomes very complicated from the architecture perspective. You know, one of the things that, that I find very interesting about the way they're positioning Oro is if you look at the solutions page, yeah, the very first thing that it lists, move online for the first time or yeah. migrate from a legacy system. So it's, it's clear who they're actually going after. So that's a very developer. And whenever you are going to look at any of the developer-driven ecosystems, uh, developer-driven platform, obviously they are very passionate about their own baby. Uh, there's no question about that, okay? So for them, everything else is going to be legacy, okay? Now, what is legacy here? I don't know, because if you look at, <laughs> if you look at some of the, the newer entrants, uh, especially the headless ones, they are going to call these guys as from 1980s, I guess. Because obviously, if you look at the quality of development, 
if you look at even if you look at their demos to be honest okay the ui is not as great so obviously this is not necessarily driven by designers it is driven by developers if you look at shopify's demo okay that's driven by designers so there's a difference there right yeah, and the yeah. other <laughs> difference that you are going to find when you are going to be working with any of the developer driven platforms number one obviously the engineering is going to be one of the best there's no question about that engineering when i say meaning your performance drivers okay so performance you are going to get there's no question about that in these platforms but they are also going to be overly complex uh, okay overall from the the way they are going to be designing uh, the the data the way they are going to be thinking about the platform it's a very developer centric mindset and again you know there's nothing bad as such about the developer mindset but what you need to do is you need to sort of balance in terms of what is going to be most important for you uh, if performance is the primary driver then you know this is probably the best platform but let's say if you have the other concern then you should be looking at the the other platforms yeah yeah i mean you know it's 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 always important to understand how a tool is positioning itself and how and what the company is looking for so when you know when their first thing is by need first time online to me, that would say, hey, we're very user friendly and we can help you get online very, very quickly and very easily. And, you know, you and I both know first time online, there's nothing easy about that. Exactly. Exactly. I, <laughs> you know, so just that's my two cents. Anyway. You could not agree more. And this is going to be uh, probably more on a complex side, to be honest, okay? So this one would definitely require a developer even to use the platform, even if you are doing it for the first time. So so my take on this is going to be, Robert, this is geared more towards the enterprise-centric uh, businesses where performance is probably going to be a, a problem and you are looking for very complex data model where you have very complicated use cases that you need to use uh, overall in terms of the search functionality, in terms of the way, uh, you know, the B2B kind of, you know, workflows you might have. And obviously, we will go through the slide and look at the kind of features that they have. Uh, it's very complex. Now, you know, when you are going to be comparing this with some of the other platforms that we have reviewed, I don't know if there is one-to-one -one comparison, to be honest, okay? So some of the platforms have slightly better capabilities. For example, when you look at the Elastic Path, Elastic Path, had decoupled their data model completely and they had very defined structure when you are going to be utilizing all of these catalogs for many different channel partners. Now that is not coming across in Oro for some reason. I don't know why. Maybe it is there, maybe it is not there. Uh, you know, we could very clearly see in Magento, they had very defined overall model uh, in Magento, but Oro is not as clean in my mind as Magento. They might be better uh, they might have better performance but overall uh, in in terms of the quality of development it does not seem to be clean overall from the design perspective any other comments robert just looking at their 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 customers um i've only heard of one of two of them and you know so it's they are a global entity um you know there's a lot of foreign companies on here i've heard of fritz feeling which is out of germany and dunlop yeah. footwear i've heard of that one the rest of them i have not yeah. and that just could be uh, you know, I'm I'm not uh, familiar with the thousands of companies out there, so I can't tell you how big or small these companies are. In, it may be a chance that they might be European companies, to be honest, and that could be the reason why you might not be familiar with them, or maybe mid-market. Uh, that's also a possibility. Yeah. So I, you know, 
glazing through there, I found South America, France, Germany, yeah. and one from uh, New Zealand. Yeah, interesting trend there. Yeah, that's that's very interesting. Okay, any other commentary, Robert, before we start on the slides? Okay, so let's uh, go through some of these. So obviously, you know, now let's look at the reality in terms of how they are rated, and they have been rated by a lot of different analyst firms. So it's not just one, a couple of them, and they are rating them really a high. And typically, when you are going to be looking at any of the quadrant or uh, the charts from these analyst firms, uh, it you need to go one level deeper in terms of how to read this uh, because you require a little bit of expertise. Uh, there are they are going to be publishing a million charts and they are going to be for specific categories. So you need to pay attention to the fine details. So here they are saying vendors product scores for B2B digital commerce use case. It's saying product or service scores for B2B digital commerce. Do we have any other details? This is from 2021. So obviously this is very new. Now here Oro's commentary is going to be Oro ranks first for the B2B digital commerce use case and highly for B2C and B2B digital commerce on the same platform. It scores in the mid-range uh, for the B2C in composable commerce use cases. So, okay, so at least they are admitting that they are probably not going to be a you know good candidate for composable commerce. So I don't know now who is legacy here. <laughs> you know, so so at least they have admitted that. Great. Okay, so here they are saying they are positioned for B2B digital commerce. And the way I'm going to read this is when you look at B2B digital commerce, it's probably going to be the entire end-to-end -end suite because again for b2b as well there are going to be many different rankings that are typically published from many different organizations i believe when i look at the constellation uh, research they had called it as a, a, a either campaign or lead to the whole commerce they use some sort of that term uh, because then you are looking for the entire commerce uh, you know transaction workflow end-to-end -end. so i sort of like that because that is very clear in terms of how you are comparing these platforms. But from this one, the way I am going to read this is going to be that they are evaluating all of the B2B platforms. So let's look at the list that they have reviewed here. So number one, Oro, second, Oracle, huge red flags. <laughs> okay, the, the whole credibility is gone. The reason why is that because Oracle, you know, we have been hearing rumors that Oracle is going to be shut down. So in 2021, Gardner is actually publishing uh, you know, that Oracle is second. So I don't know, you know, how to read this, to be honest. But, you know, if you look at the list, and by in my mind, Oracle wasn't as uh, great at B2B when I looked at it. Now, the third one, when I look at, okay, SAP, Adobe, VTX, VTX wasn't, it didn't have uh, as strong B2B functionality. So I don't know why it is sitting there. Uh, SAP, great B2B, I, I get it. Adobe, Magento, yes, strong B2B. Uh, HCL Commerce, B2C, okay? Salesforce, B2B. B they had very strong B2B capabilities. Commerce Tools, B2C. They have announced B2B features, but they are just like Shopify at this point of time, okay? They are not going to have as strong data model. What else do we have? We have Intershop. Uh, we have Optimizely, great B2B, awesome B2B. Uh, Unilog, Kibo, Spryker, BigCommerce, for uh, B2B, Elastic Path, B2B, Shopware, and then optimize the again, how does that work? So they have B2C combined. Now I'm lost. Why do you have B2C combined? 
uh, I, I'm not sure how to read this. I don't know. Maybe, Robert, you have some commentary there. I, I view this as it's just a marketing ploy. You know, looking at their website uh, and, and you know, trying to understand who they're trying to target, looking at all the reviews um, that people have provided across a number of different platforms. Um, and there... I was looking for it just now and I couldn't find it. I saw it earlier today when I was doing some research on them. Um, they actually posted some screenshots um, of Oro and it was a sales workflow, which okay. clearly identified this as B2B yeah. and forget about the B2C. Yeah. And by the way, I mean, see, the other point that I forgot to mention that this is probably the only platform that also has CRM integrated as part of the platform. The only other uh, platform that you are going to find as integrated with CRM is probably going to be HubSpot. And now if you consider Salesforce Commerce to be integrated as part of your Salesforce, then probably you're going to find in Salesforce as well. So CRM is there. HubSpot when I think about HubSpot platform, if you ask any HubSpot you know, resellers, they are all going to uh, talk about how much they are into B2B space. But if you look at their CRM, CRM data model do, you know, does not have the complexity of B2B data model, to be honest. Okay, The way their data model is designed, even though HubSpot may be doing really well, but CRM is not there for B2B. Um, you know, so I see HubSpot as more of the B2C play. Yep. Uh, but most, uh, uh, you know, HubSpot consultants, they are going to call themselves as, you know, service-oriented uh, B2B. So, yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, HubSpot, their, their data model is based purely on B2C, and people are just trying to backfill it because they don't want to, they don't want the expense or the headache of going to Salesforce. Exactly, exactly. And that is typically the driver. You are so right that, you know, what Salesforce is expensive, I don't want to go for that. Or some people just hate Salesforce because I don't want to be on Salesforce because everybody else is on Salesforce. Uh, you know, but you need to pay attention to the the data model in my mind. That should be the driver, uh, you know, in terms of the platform that you should be selecting. Yep. Okay. Um, so some more uh, functionality here. Obviously, they have very strong B2B functionality. There's no question about that. And they have called it as master catalog. Now, I don't recall if we have seen the term master catalog being used anywhere else. I don't know what is the purpose of master catalog. Typically, uh, there is going to be a catalog that is going to be designed for every single sort of you know distributor, the way Elastic Path had treated. Then you have the web catalog. So my understanding is going to be, okay, you have the master catalog, and then a subset of that is going to be published to your web. And maybe, you know, the subset of that is also going to be published to uh, other channels that you might be talking to, uh, either from B2B perspective or uh, just from the integration perspective. But here, I don't think they have some sort of POS experience. And I don't know which POS platform they typically integrate with. Um, that would be my challenge in looking at this. So two of the things when you go and look at their um, product roadmap, they, yeah. do, they currently do not have kits, but that is the upcoming version is going to have that. So there's a management <laughs> UI to configure items included in product kits. Um, in future roadmap, looking at the product catalog, they do uh, improvements to product variants, price management, multi 
attribute ordering forms and product editing UI improvements. Yeah, so that's very interesting. And again, if you're B2B, I don't know a business that is not going to have some sort of kits, to be honest, okay? So I don't know why you would not have that. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm not too sure there. Uh. <laughs> so here for, for B2B, here's a really important one. So long-term plans. So we have to remember, these guys started in 2012. Some of the other platforms that we're up against started four or five years earlier. So they yeah. have just, they just have time under their belt. And so the long-term plans, it says replacement items and add-ons. Interesting. Replacement items and add-ons. And the, the challenge that, so, so my challenge, Robert, okay, here is going to be, okay, so you have very complex products such as configurable products, okay? So configurable yeah. products, I mean, there are going to be businesses that are going to have configurable needs but not every business uses configurator at this point of time to be honest okay there are going to be certain industries where configurable or configurator is probably must but when you look at kits pretty much every single business is going to have some sort of kits so in terms of priority i'm looking at you know you already have configurator but you don't have kits so i'm, I'm not too sure there yeah. So I swear we say this every, I, we should just have it as like just a, a running little tab underneath, you know, verify your own requirements before looking at the system. So, you know, your mileage is going to vary depending on the system that you take a look at. But if you have a strong sense of the must have, like to have, and, you know, we can deal with later at depending on a product roadmap, you, you know, you can look at this and try to figure out how it fits in with what your needs are. Exactly, exactly. And when I look at their, you know, product roadmap at this point of time, you have developed really strong CRM, you have developed a very strong platform, uh, you know, and then you are doing a lot of complex stuff such as uh, that is going to be required for very global organization, such as your tax configuration, but you don't have kids. Now, I'm, I'm really not sure there. So that's what is priority in my mind. And that's why if, let's say, product managers were driving this and if they had interviewed customers, then this would be a very different roadmap than developers driving it. Yeah, some more things. Uh, when you look at, you know, PIM, DAM, if you look at the feature set, it's very lean, even though they are calling it as PIM, DAM. It's WordPress can start calling them as PIM and DAM because they can start <laughs> they, they can store <laughs> images. <laughs> that's not what PIM and <laughs> Damn, is to be honest, okay? So, you yeah, know, like, I, I, I saw this picture on Reddit the other, this last weekend, and I think it was Walmart that was called out for it. It, it was a, a portable storage drive, and the Redditor had this, this habit of taking electronic devices, yeah. cracking them open, and actually seeing what was in the guts. In the case of this portable storage drive, it was actually supposed to be a five terabyte storage drive. He opened it up, and what he found in there was a bunch of thumb drives. Interesting. So they, they had created an inexpensive board, plugged in a yep. bunch of thumb drives, and that was your five terabytes, the thumb drives. Wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> and so, you know, the, the point of that is – on the outside, these things yeah. may look really good, but you exactly. need to know what questions to ask to make sure that you don't get a thumb drive. Yeah, and that's such a great example, to be honest, because in that case, at least you can break the device and you can find out what is underneath. With software, you're never going to know that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
you're, you know, especially if it's been compiled, you know, forget it. You're, you're not going to see it. I mean, if it's open source, you can go dig through there, but there's not many developers that actually have the time to spend a few weeks to understand the intricacies of what's going on. It's, it's really like, okay, we have to develop these features in this period of time. And it's just, you know, build, test, build, test, build, test, publish. Yeah, could not agree more. Thank you so much there. So some more comments here on the slide. So they have substitutes. And again, very advanced functionality in my mind. Um, you know, you have multi-warehouse, but again, you don't have kits. I'm, I'm going to be hung up on the kits now. Uh, <laughs> and Gartner has rated them as, as first platform, and that is also, I'm, I'm, I'm not too sure there. Okay, so now they are saying for B2C, they have the requisition list. And by the way, let me see, again, why are you doing both? You are doing B2B as well as B2C when you are not strong in both. Um, you know, just focus on one thing and be really good at that. So here you are doing the requisition list. You are doing RFQ and code builder for B2C. I'm not sure what's going on here. I think that's probably breaking down, uh, you know, based on the features. So these features must be applicable for B2B, not really yeah. for B2C. So there is a communication problem there. You know, guest checkout is a very interesting feature that I have not seen in a lot of different platforms. And that that causes a lot of problems when you have to implement guest functionality. So I kind of like that, to be honest, that it's, it's uh, already part of your uh, data model. And by the way, I mean, if you look at these screens, they have the, the real guest object, uh, which is just mind blowing for me that they have really thought through this this functionality. Um, I, like, I like the next one, single page checkout. And why do you like, do you want to uh, provide some more details there? Well, you know, there's, there's a reason Amazon did one click checkout because yeah. customers hate going through page after page after page after page. And so with single page checkout, you know, it's, it's going to be um, updated with asynchronous JavaScript, right? So you, you just complete a piece and it's like, okay, here's the next piece of the form. Here's the next piece of the form, the single page. You're not spending all that time going through and reloading and you just submit. You only, you know, the only, and I guess, you know, without having seen it, they're probably doing validations um, real time. Yeah. Um, before you actually hit the submit. And so it just, it makes it easier for the consumer to know exactly where they are. So if they need to make any adjustments to their order, let's say they decide they get to the end and they see what the total price is and they realize what the shipping cost is like, oh, wait a minute, let me go back up and change my shipping on that page so I don't have to backtrack three pages in, yeah. in the order flow. Yeah. Yeah. So that's very interesting. The question that I'm going to have for you is, do you know any platform in 2022 that is probably not going to support single page checkout? There's a couple of platforms that just don't have it. You you could make that customized, but most of them they they separate between um, enter in your own personal information, the you know where it's being shipped to, the billing information, the the cart itself, and the shipping information. It's it's usually two or three page checkout. Yeah, three yeah. three is three is pretty standard for, yeah. for most e-commerce. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely a very interesting insight. Thank you so much for bringing that. Anything else, Robert? No. Nope. Uh, okay, good. Um, so for inventory, they have back ordering. And again, that's a very key piece of functionality. Uh, I don't think anybody has called out back ordering so far. But my assumption is going to be that most platforms that are doing some sort of B2B, uh, you know, they should be able to support back ordering. Uh, I take that as, as given, but maybe some platforms don't have that. Uh, thresholds. Uh, and I don't know what they mean by that. Is it the buying approval? Uh, if that is the case, I think, you know, again, most platforms are going to have 
some sort of support of that, which is very interesting too. Uh, then they have shipping weight based and then geolocation. Geolocation was very interesting. I don't think we have seen this uh, with other platforms. They are doing it differently. Uh, and the Texas is very interesting as well. We have seen techs were very strong in Elastic Path and the way these guys have implemented, uh, you know, that's very strong as well. I don't think other platforms are going to be as strong. So that's, uh, you know, they are definitely gearing more towards B2B and this is where your B2B functionality is going to be really handy. See, I, I really question, you mentioned it earlier and, you know, digesting what you just read, I'm really questioning the idea of back ordering in a B2C. Because if you Yeah. Because if you think about how consumers act today, yeah. I'm gonna order it. I want it now. And if you're telling me we don't have it in stock, we we can back order it, you can place the order and back order it, I'm highly likely to bounce somewhere else and see if I can find it through somebody else. So here's my take, and you know, you can disagree if you like, Robert. You know, this is an open forum, as you know. Um, so depending upon the use case, I guess, there might be scenarios where back order functionality may be required, even in the case of B2C. So you are right. Let's say if I'm buying a product that is available at five places, you know, then I can buy either from you or from somebody else. It, I'm the, Your competitor is just a click away, right? But let's say if you are launching a new product that you only, you are the only company that has that, okay? Or you are doing some sort of flash sale where you are publishing a price that is not available anywhere else, okay? In those cases, you know, because you are the only one who can provide that, some customers may be, okay, okay, I'm getting this at the price, yep. you know, 50% price, I can wait for two months. And, <laughs> and so here's, here's the interesting piece about this, right? So it's, it's yep. about terminology. So I would view that as DTC, not B2C. And so if, if I am a brand selling directly to consumers, that's D2C, right? Yeah. And so in that case, absolutely, I would want to backorder because I know that you are the sole provider of this. And if I really can't wait, I'm going to go, you know, I'll go to Amazon and see if I can find the next best alternative. Now, where might I not find the next best alternative? Yeah. Well, is Are some products just demand inelastic? It depends, you know, some clothing brands, you know, some, some people are so loyal to a particular brand that they just will not go to anything else and they're willing to wait. Okay, yeah. great. And, but other things, you know, more commodities. So if you got the, uh, they, they mentioned somewhere fast moving um, consumer products. Yeah. You know, that's one of their, their options. Well, fast moving consumer products that, you know, there are alternatives all over the place. And so I'm, I'm perfectly willing to buy store brand, I just took my son to college and, you know, he got his first apartment and my wife was like a, a kid in the candy store setting up yeah. his apartment. And so we're, we're in Walmart and Target and everywhere we could to, you know, beat the locusts cleaning out the stores for all their kids going back to college because there's yeah. 50 colleges in Boston. And, you know, she, she's looking at brand name stuff. I'm like, we don't need brand name sugar. Sugar is sugar. Just get Walmart. <laughs> so, you know, and so there's a classic example of, you know, yeah. demand elasticity. It's exactly so. Yeah. Also, I would like to add, and, and depending upon how the back ordering is, is, is being used, sometimes back ordering is being used as an excuse, okay, that we have seen. Uh, and excuse when I say, you know, I'm going to put in double quotes. And the reason for that is because 
you know, let's say if your inventory is not going to be real, uh, it's very rare that you are probably going to have the real inventory as part of your, I don't know, a business that is as sophisticated, even if they are going to be sophisticated, they are going to have some sort of fake inventory there. Okay, so when they are going to have fake inventory, what they do is they use back ordering functionality basically to hold the order. And after that, they are going to decide whether they need to process the order or cancel because your e-commerce does not have your real inventory. If you don't have that product, you have to cancel that. So you are simply sort of buying the time there <laughs> in terms of that back ordering functionality. Uh, you know, so so I, I guess depending upon how you are going to be implementing, I guess, uh, Robert, that is also a question. Yeah, so... If if you so there are platforms that you know people can pre-order particular products and yeah. so the back ordering pre-ordering could be a great way of setting up demand for a particular product. Yep, I agree. You could use it exactly the same way. Yeah. Um, if you are kind of your shipments are delayed and you've notified your customers, hey, you know I've I've got this tanker coming in, but it's been delayed two weeks. So you know we will have it if you if you're willing to wait for it. We're going to offer you a, a convenience points, reorder discounts, something, you know, go ahead and back order now. And we'll get it to you as soon as it gets in and we'll keep yep. you updated on its status. Those are some great use cases for utilizing back ordering. Unfortunately, as you said, we have seen back ordering for vaporware and ghostware. So <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Awesome. Uh, so let's move on to some more slides. So here, a uh, couple of things that uh, we have noticed overall from the configuration perspective. Obviously, the data model is very rich. Uh, you know, it's a very developer friendly platform. And that's why they have designed the database, sorry, the data model uh, to be really sophisticated. Um, so some of the objects that they have in the data model are going to be your guest CRM, all of that is separate. They don't have this separate as we have seen in the case of Elastic path where the price and you need to remind me, Robert. So price was there, and then you have the the catalog or the hierarchies, and then the product. I guess they had those three, if I recall correctly, and they were trying to compose all of those together to be able to print the catalog. Right. Uh, right. Yeah. Right. So here we have the catalog. We have uh, pricing. I am not seeing that. So maybe pricing is probably part of your product. Uh, most likely, that's how most uh, you know platforms are going to do that. So obviously, elastic path is going to be slightly more elastic <laughs> than your uh, Oro, I guess. Well, I, I, yeah. So when we think about who they're going after, if we go back to first time in e-commerce, they're probably not going to be that sophisticated to come up with elastic pricing. Um, exactly. So exactly. I, I completely agree. But I mean, this is definitely not for the first timers. I don't know why a business, if you are going to e-commerce for the first time, you want to start with Oro. Oh, my goodness. Now you are in trouble. OK, you should be starting with Shopify. <laughs> uh, anybody that's going first time into e-commerce, they're not going to have the team necessary yeah. to make it successful. You're not going to have the digital team. You're probably not going to have the budget necessary to kill, you know, um, make it scream as quickly and as, as uh, knock it out of the park. Yeah. Um, and so I think you're setting yourself up for a bit of a challenge. You're either exactly. going to spend a lot of money on consultants or you're going to hire a big staff and then you're going to wait a while before you actually go live. Yeah, completely agree. 
Um, okay, so let's cover some more slides here. So this is the slide that I was talking about overall from their priority on the performance. So they have done some of the things which are very interesting. And I think this, I have personally seen this as being the challenge for high volume e-commerce shops. So here we are talking about storefront performance improvements and JavaScript optimizations. And that's a real uh, you know, problem. Uh, especially I have heard this uh, from the Magento community. Uh, then they are talking about data grids, accessibility and keyboard navigation. Again, you know, they are doing really good to be honest because most ERP systems are going to have the keyboard navigation. I'm not sure how useful that is going to be in e-commerce because for e-commerce, the target customer for you are going to be your two clients. Number one is, or maybe three clients, okay? So number one is going to be your end customer. Number two is going to be your procurement customers. Those are going to be the people who are working, let's say for a distributor, they are going to be buying from you as well. And they are going to have slightly more sophisticated capabilities. Their workflows are going to be slightly richer as well overall uh, compared to your end consumer. And the third ones that we have seen are going to be your sales apps. Um, and sometimes they don't use ERP. They are probably going to be using e-commerce. Uh, if that is the case, then they probably need to move really fast and processing the orders. Uh, and that's why they are probably coming up with the keyboard uh, navigation. That is very unique. I've not seen with any other platform so far. The export of product listing, uh, they have done this as well. Again, very um, interesting feature that you can uh, basically download your products but they are implementing that right now, which is interesting. Then search, they have saved searches and notifications, which is a very interesting functionality. If you look at the demo, then you can do, and this is very similar to SCL Commerce, if I remember correctly, they could actually save the searches. You could uh, save the specific configuration of the searches. The main difference here is going to be, here you have the ranking of how you sort of want to search. So basically, let's say, if you are going to be entering your keyword and based on your keyword, now keyword could be as part of your SKU or it could be as part of your uh, your description. So now let's say if you want to prioritize which one you want to show first, whether you want to show the description first or the SKU one first, there could be two different products, right? So you can sort of play around there in terms of what is the hierarchy that you're looking at. So I kind of like it. The more flexibility you have in your search algorithm, you can you can do a lot of different things from the marketing perspective in how you want the searches to be appear to the customer. And that's where your, your conversions are gonna be handy. Obviously you wanna show the products that are either going to be highly profitable or the customers are likely to buy. So I personally like this feature. This I have not seen anywhere else so far. You know, going back to the data grid accessibility and keyboard navigation, um, for the B2C that is incredibly important. And Just from why would you say so? You need to give me example or use case there. Sure. So um, accessibility. Interesting. Screen readers. So this is what Rudy Giuliani made his his career on many, many years ago when he was in New York. Yeah. And he's going after all the travel companies. Yeah. Because their sites were not accessible. And so then there was a big back and forth about which accessibility standards were websites going to adhere to. And, you know, what's going to be the government standard? What's going to be the ADA? Was it some other standard? I mean, there, there's a bunch of different standards. And the W3C has some guidelines and some best practices that yeah. sites should follow. But if you 
one of the challenges that screen readers have is when you have a bunch of data in a yeah. grid format and how it's going to read through the screen. So keyboard navigation, you know, is the keyboard when, when you're tabbing, is it going to go straight down and back up another column and straight down again? Is it going to zigzag across the screen? How, how is it going to navigate through there? Because that is how the screen reader is going to go as well. And it could be really, really confusing. Very interesting comment there and very interesting detail. Okay, so let's step back a bit. Okay, so when I look at any of these standard platform, my understanding is going to be they are going to have the ADA compliant feature. Obviously, you know, then otherwise you're looking at a lot of different lawsuits, right? So I know that some platforms might not support it out of the box. There might be themes that they might have or the developers might have developed some sort of ADA compliant functionality. But so far, I have personally not seen keyboard navigation being part of the, the, the feature as part of the ADA compliance. So I don't know if that is mandated. Uh, any any more commentary there, Robert? Well, so there's, there's no mandate. Okay. It's, it's, it's basically you don't want to be called out and embarrassed because that's what you know, some of the accessibility groups will do to you, you know, they will call you first and yeah. they'll say, Hey, you know, you're not meeting the standard. You're making it difficult for our members. You know, this is something that you want to address. And they'll try to do it nicely first because yeah. most companies at this point are on board and they want their sites to be accessible. Yeah. They, they realize that it's, it's better for business um, to make them accessible. Occasionally they make mistakes. They overlook something. It's usually not purposeful. It's just maybe an oversight or, you know, uh, an error when pushing code out into public, right? So when you're talking about the storefront, that's the UI that, that's actually reading the back end. You know, the, the UI changes all the time when you have UX in there trying to make sure that you get the best usability out of it. And usually the UX is going to be focusing on site users, not, yeah. you know, the, the sightless and especially the hearing impaired. Um, who may be sightless. And so they're going to have to rely on the screen reader. And I have not seen very many companies have in-house ADA checks and understand how to do that. They they usually bring in a third-party um, yeah. organization to say, hey, can you test this for us? And they'll yeah. come back with the recommendations for that that repair. And so to actually understand that the storefront needs to have this built in, that's that's important for them. So I don't know whether this was an oversight on their part previously, because yeah. like WordPress is, has been all over that for years, right? Um, so I don't know whether this was over, oversight on their part in the past, or they're just trying to stay ahead of the curve. Yeah, very interesting insights there. Thank you so much, Robert, for that. Um, so I'm actually going to cover some more slides here. So we have some more details. Uh, this is the, the feature set that I was talking about overall. Uh, in terms of customizability of your uh, search. Um, so this is how you are probably going to be boosting where you can assign the score to your description. And that is probably going to be appear over the, the SKU itself. So, uh, you know, you can assign that to any of the product attributes. Um, that's how uh, you can you can do it, which is very, very, very interesting personally for me. And then some more uh, uh, slides here. So here we are looking at nested rules for product visibility. And again, a lot of different platforms are going to be talking about 
product visibility, but I have not seen as many layers in any other platform so far that we have reviewed. Here we are talking about well laid out hierarchy in terms of you know whether you want to show this product to your web channel versus your uh, resellers versus your distributor versus role number one, role number two, role number three. So there could be a lot of different permutation combinations there. Uh, these guys have done wonderful job overall in doing that. By the way, one of the points that I don't think we have mentioned so far, this is supposed to be for multi-website, uh, you know, that's built as part of the platform. So obviously that's going to be a big add for these guys that it's really designed for the enterprise use cases. Uh, if you're going to go for Shopify, the comparable is going to be Shopify Plus uh, because that's what has the multi-website. Your Shopify is probably not going to have that. So that is something to keep in mind. The smaller platforms are probably going to be out of the equation. This should be compared with slightly larger platform that is going to support the multi-website, multi-brand uh, functionality out of the box. So the interesting thing that I see missing here in um, the previous slide, yeah, the SKU setup, is dimensions. SKU setup and dimensions. And, and you are you talking about the attributes, the variance? Uh, all of the above. So it may be there, and then you just may not have captured it in this particular screen slide. So when I when I think about um, the attributes for a SKU, one of the attributes for the SKU is going to be um, the individual item unboxed. How much does it weigh? How big is it? So a user can understand. It's kind of like you know the joke of the reference banana or the reference quarter next to an image that you have taken so people yeah. understand how big it is, right? So yeah. there, there are, I don't see the weight and size attributes for the particular item or the boxed item. Now, the boxed item is pretty, you know, really important when you think about um, the workflow that happens when you bring a product on board, right? So when you bring a product on board to your organization, yeah. you know, part of the costing of that particular product is okay i know how much the size is and the weight is and so i can figure out which shipping partner is going to be able to you know yeah. move this for me as cheaply as possible and do i need insurance for it what happens if i have this as a bundle and it needs to be bundled with other stuff am i going to get oversized charges for this and without those attributes being as, uh, associated to that skew it makes it more difficult to facilitate that Exactly. And, and, and I think this is going to be a problem with these screenshots, to be honest. And we want to be fair, uh, you know, with Oro's wall. And I would be shocked uh, if they are not going to have dimensions or attributes. Um, you know, most of the B2B platforms are probably going to have that. So I'm pretty sure they have really rich, uh, you know, attributes supported as part of the product uh, itself. But I don't know if you're going to have. We'll see if you might have a screenshot where I may be able to show you that. Uh, but they, they should have that, Robert. Yeah. Um, here we are talking about some of the nested rules for the landing pages. Again, very interesting piece of functionality. Uh, we have seen this done outside uh, of your regular data model. For example, the way Optimizely or AppServer, they are going to approach this. They are actually going to go to your Optimizely, and then you can probably replace one of the components, one of the pages, whatever you want to do. That typically sits outside of your uh, you know, main workflow. Here we are talking about designing different landing pages for different customer persona, very, very, very deep. This is an enterprise uh, you know, great uh, capability in my mind. Uh, when I look at, uh, SAP, uh, if I remember SAP Hybris, I think they had the discomposable experience where you can literally assign different blocks to different persona or to different audience. Uh, 
Uh, here they are doing pages. I don't know if he can do the same composability as well. Uh, I think composability is is far more important for me personally than just the landing pages. So, but I still like this functionality a lot. The marketing people are going to like the landing page. I know. It's just a matter. Yeah, you're right. You know, I, I like the com- compostable part of that. Which units do I want for which landing page to to generate the highest conversions possible? Exactly. Exactly. Uh, let's cover some more here. Um, this is the multi warehouse, uh, you know, order functionality that you were talking about. It's very deep overall. Um, you know, it's on the same order form where you can select different warehouses. So basically, you are fulfilling an order that is going to be fulfilled by multiple warehouses. That's a very complex B2B functionality. So far, I personally have not seen anywhere else. And by the way, you are talking about pricing per warehouse. That is also a very, very important feature. And I think they have pricing for geolocation as well. Very deep B2B feature. Uh, Not all uh, B2B platforms can support that. So they are definitely very functionally rich overall. From the B2B perspective, some more uh, slides here. So this is the quick order form. This is very similar to your Spryker, Hybris, or Elastic Path. Uh, this is probably going to be a need for most organization, especially if they are doing very fast, uh, you know, ordering for the parts, or if they are doing any sort of repeat order. This is very interesting piece of functionality that we have seen consistently in every single B2B platforms that we have reviewed so far. Now, this is where the real complexity is, okay? It's going to blow your mind overall, the kind of, you know, workflows that you can design. And in B2B, obviously, your workflows are going to be very complex. Okay, $50, you go to your floor supervisor, they're going to approve the order. Then you go to their supervisor, their manager, VP. Oh, my goodness. There could be hierarchies after hierarchies. And these hierarchies could be based on, you know, different warehouses, different locations. So there's a lot of complexity overall when you look at the the B2B workflows. And here we are going after the lowest common denominator. And you can literally design these workflows. Now, my fear in this is going to be this is so complex and most people are probably not going to use it. Okay, it's that complex. <laughs> I'm getting that a, a customer specifically asked for it and they built it and now they're just providing it to others. And without without specific training, I doubt that most, you're right, I doubt most people would use it. Yeah, it's very hard to follow. I mean, the way it is appearing right now, there are like a million <laughs> arrows going from I don't know where, uh, <laughs> you know, so... I, it just reminds me of you know the the Acme Dynamite company. <laughs> I know, I know, right? And that's why I mean, you know, for me, hire a designer. They can simplify these things very easily. To be honest, I mean, the same yeah. thing can be done in a very simplified manner. Okay, so some more comments here. This is the multiple website from the same platform. I think we have already covered that point already. Uh, require company name for customer users. That's a very critical functionality. I've seen the whole customer master being corrupted just because of this issue. So if you are, if you have a way to mandate that they need to be entering the company name, that's a big deal, and that's supported as part of your data model. Um, so we just have uh, four minutes right now. Uh, let's see if we can cover some more. Uh, this is the data model that I am talking about, and this is the whole. The complexity is so much. There's no way in the hell if you are the first-time commerce user, you definitely don't want to touch this platform, to be honest, okay? So it's designed for very complex workflows, and you definitely need to have developers in-house, you know, who sort of know what they are doing, because otherwise you can really hurt yourself. Um, So here, again, we are looking at very customizable uh, workflow in terms of what all you can do. Sure, Shopify has sort of done it, 
they have exposed some of the variables, but that is only for mailing. Okay, here we are talking about customizing the whole uh, node as part of your layout and each and every component of the node. This is mind blowing the way they have done this. Yeah, so this this is going to require um, developers, and this is going to require an operations executive who understands, you know, the business, who can actually understand what the business is looking for and communicate that clearly to the developers so you can get the data out of it that you need, because most business people cannot. I completely agree. And the way it appears, it's almost like they have designed .NET over web. You know, the way this is designed, I mean, these are the kind of capabilities that you're probably going to have in a programming platform. You know, you can probably customize whatever you want, uh, but then oh, it you, becomes so complex. Yeah, you and I would be perfectly happy playing with this. It's just <laughs> hand, hand, hand this to a, a VP of e-commerce for a, a manufacturer and yeah. he's going to have a heart attack. I, I know. I completely agree. Uh, all right, so I think we have just two minutes right now, so let's uh, kill the slides and we can take some uh, final commentary, uh, Robert. Um, I like some of the stuff that they've done. I like the, you know, how much they've built in the last um, ten years. You know, they're 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 moving along pretty nicely. I like the fact that they published their roadmap. A lot of companies do not. Yeah. So you can actually see where they are and see, you know, what's coming up. You know, I understand them not putting dates on it because, you know, things change. Um, but at least it gives companies taking a look at the tool a clear understanding of what they're capable of doing and what they're not and whether it fits their needs or not. I, I just hope that, you know, unfortunately, anybody that writes a poor review of any one of the platforms that we've we've taken a look at, it's probably their own fault. They probably didn't do a good needs analysis and they were probably their eyes were you know way bigger than their stomach yeah could not agree more i think that's a great assessment um there so robert my question to you is going to be let's say these guys are going to be so strong from the development perspective and they started in let's say 2012 and in 2012 i don't know if the headless concept was there um you know i don't know when commerce tools started uh, but maybe the idea must be flowing around uh, by then. So why would you not do the development on uh, the composable commerce aspect as well as the headless? That is where I'm a bit lost. Um, you know that you have designed such a thick platform, which has great functionality, but then you don't have the headless features. So any any take on that by any chance? All I can say is the the trio uh, left and had a very strong sense of what they wanted to build, but were far removed from uh, the fast moving market. Yeah, 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 completely agree. Uh, any other final comments, Robert, before we close? No, no, I, I, I enjoyed this tool. Um, I think it has a lot of possibilities for the right company. It's just make sure that you, you know, do your homework. Exactly, completely agree. And uh, my final commentary is going to be, this is definitely very developer friendly. So if you have developer on staff, uh, or if you are a developer yourself, you know, and you happen to be an e-commerce business, obviously you are going to like that. But, uh, you know, as the e-commerce business, your first priority should always be running the business. The platform is great. Um, so, you know, again, if you're looking for the performance uh, or uh, the customizability of the B2B platform, there's definitely a candidate for that. Uh, but other than that, I would be slightly concerned uh, with the other businesses. Uh, no. Anything else, Robert? Good? No, that's okay. it. Okay. 
So that's a wrap, guys. And if you joined for the first time, this was part of our e-commerce series for which we meet uh, every Wednesday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern. We review one vendor or the solution. So make sure you guys are going to be here next week. We are going to come back with another solution. On that note, thanks, everyone, for tuning in tonight. Good night, all. I can't thank our guests enough for coming on the show, for sharing their knowledge and journey. I always pick up learnings from our guests, and hopefully you learned something new today. If you want to learn more about Robert Brown, head over to rgbecommerce.com. It's rgbecommerce.com. Links and more information will also be available in the show notes. If anything in this podcast resonated with you and your business, you might want to check other related episodes, including the interview with Jay Schneider, who shares his insights into how B2B digital commerce processes differ from B2C. Also, the interview with Noemi Kiss, who shares her insights into how the water industry works and how its sales cycle differs from other industries. Also, don't forget to subscribe and spread the word among folks with similar backgrounds. If you have any questions or comments about the show, please review and rate us on your favorite podcasting platform or DM me on any social channels. I'll try my best to respond personally and make sure you get help. Thank you, and I hope to catch you on the next episode of Skip. Thank you for listening to another episode of the WBS Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform so you never miss an episode. For more information on growth strategies for SMBs using ERP and digital transformation, check out our community at wbs.rocks. We'll see you next time.